0: So, hello and welcome to episode eleven uh, of the Wildcast, the the last edition for uh, twenty twenty before we uh, get out of this year and uh, and head into twenty twenty one. Tom, uh, Tom, and I are joined today by uh, none other than a, a legend of Swindon hockey, um, for over four hundred games for the Wildcats, ex captain, pretty much done it all with the team. Shane, Shane Moore, how are you?
1: Yeah, good, Ben. Thanks, uh, thanks, guys, for for having me on. Uh, really excited and. Um, yeah, very flattering words. <laughs> Thank you.
2: No,
0: not at all. I mean, all right, first question, let's, let's start modern day. Let's start how 2020 uh, has been a crazy year. How, how's things been for you and, and how's everyone?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been been a crazy time, um, to be fair. Real wild ride, um, as most fans will be aware. Um, I, I've had a business um, which has been operating throughout all this, and um, that's been a fun ride there. Um, and most importantly for me, my, my, my son was born um, back in August, so uh, real highlight for me. I've now compete, completed the clan, uh, got, got a little girl and a little boy, and, um, yeah, feeling very blessed, so fantastic year for me.
0: And uh, family all good, keeping well?
1: Yeah, really good, really good. Um, uh, yeah, just such a strange time to uh, <laughs> to have a child. But um, yeah, amazing, mate. I'm, th- I'm truly blessed. I've got two wonderful children, a uh, fantastic wife who supports me and uh, is pretty glad I don't play hockey anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't, don't, come, don't, don't come home with those injuries, don't have all those late nights anymore. But um, yeah, she's, uh, no, she's a star,
0: blesser. Amazing. Wonderful. We'd like to hear. So going back right to the start of your career, I'm just loading up your uh, your elite prospects now. But the thing that kind of me and Tom were talking earlier about how we'd start this interview, and the thing that jumps us out is your first games for the Lynx, I think it was, came the year after you were named an All-Star for an under-15 team. Just how crazy was it jumping into a senior game at the age you did? And tell us yeah, about
1: it's, um. Yeah, it, it was insane. Um, I mean, I started training with the seniors before that and um, it, it was completely different back in those days, to be fair. Like, you know, I, I look at the uh, the world of hockey now and uh, in a way, it's it can be restrictive for some of the young guys to kind of go through because we have, you know, and for the right reasons, in fairness, we have child protection laws and, and we have all this good stuff in place. Um, but that can also, in some aspects uh, stunt people when when they're trying to come through the ranks I mean uh, when I was growing up it was a case of if you if you're good enough get involved um, and they'll soon see if you can cut the mustard Um, you know so yeah very young age I I remember my um, my first ever away game I think it was it it was certainly one of the first few away games that I had was in uh, Rom Valley Way and uh, for those of you that have been to Romford um, in the old rink you, you know it's quite an intimidating place um, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget. But during warm up, uh, there was there was some guys stood next to us in warm up, and they were the other side of the netting. There wasn't plexiglass there at the time, and um, I had the full face cage on. And some random guy stuck his hand through the the netting and, and grabbed my face cage and started just rocking me left and right. Um, I had no idea what was going on. And uh, Lee Brathwaite at the time just turned around and uh, just punched this guy through the netting um I <laughs> just that was just the, the best welcome I could ever imagine like just thinking okay well this is what I've got myself into just <laughs> for that, learn the players. um but yeah I was I was very thankful I had someone like Brath next to me to uh to look after me
0: and obviously you mentioned Brath there but was that year the first year you played you were under the coaching guidance of Merv Priest as well yeah
1: yeah good old Merv he was um yeah, fantastic player. Um, had a lot of time for that, and um, he he gave a lot of the a lot of the young guys in Swindon a great opportunity to to really start to um you know see see what senior hockey was about. Um, it was a a great setup um, that we had in the juniors then. Uh, Mark Beggs, who obviously commentates for the Wildcats now, um, he was uh, he was running the junior junior setup and he ran a really tight ship and had the players in an excellent position to be ready for senior hockey. And um, Murph Priest, yeah, he gave me that first opportunity. But I remember, you know, we we had guys like Mark Richardson, who obviously now plays with uh, with the Devils and and in the GB setup. Um, yeah, he was playing, and uh, John Jewer, who was a similar age to me, um, you know, he was playing. Uh, Sean Littlewood, I think, Joe Dickens. There, there was quite a few of us who were playing from the uh, from the youth ranks up there. So, yeah, really um, really lucky to have a guy like Merv give give me an opportunity at such a young age.
0: And I guess then the next year you kind of stepped up more full-time. In the first year I think you played about 10 games and a, a couple of playoff games. Um, under Daryl Lipsy that year, like the absolute legend of Swindon hockey, I'd imagine growing up as a kid you watched Daryl play all over the ice. What was it like? Being on a, well, being on the bench with him stood behind you.
1: Yeah, fa- fantastic. Uh, as you say, I mean, Mr. Swindon Ice Hobby, right. Like you know, him and uh, him and probably Sam Bullis is the modern day one. But uh, you know, he was he was purely an idol for me growing up. Um, you know, him and Gary Dickey, and you know, there's some, there's loads of names I could throw out. But um, having having someone of Daryl Lipsy's uh, pedigree come back to Swindon um after you know a few years up in Manchester and all the rest of it having him come back was um you know an amazing opportunity for Swindon and for me to uh, to go to the trials and and for him to offer me a contract uh, at such a young age was um yeah mind-blowing for me uh, he gave he put a lot of faith in me um gave me a lot of minutes you know my age didn't matter it was um you know it truly was a case of if you're good enough you're going to get played um and I yeah a lot of respect for, for him and I still see him quite often actually he uh, he lives a couple of roads away from me so I quite often pass his house and um, you know I see seen him a number of times but um yeah fantastic to have the guidance of um, uh, such a such a caliber of player um and a really good coach as well.
2: Um, so you mentioned there that you know it was kind of a case of if you're good enough you're old enough and you can kind of see that from not just your statistics I mean that second year you had 11 points in 30 games which you know for teenage d-man as it was back then you know is decent you know it's a good return and there's other young players of a similar age who were bringing up numbers was that kind of like a big cultural thing in swindon at the time um it was a kind of a bit before my it's bit before my time and ben was kind of getting into hockey around that yeah that, time, was that kind of a big cultural thing to bring those young players through yeah it was um do you know what back, back then it
1: was fantastic across not just swindon but all the other clubs um I think it was a number of different reasons why the young guys got the opportunities back then. Um, I mean, young, young guys still get opportunities now, but you tend to see kind of 18, 19 year olds coming through the ranks now, um, rather than the kind of 14, 15, 16 year olds that were coming through back then. And uh, part of it was a case that if you're good enough, you know, you just move up and and you should go for it. Um, I mean, I, I think eventually I, I mean, I played a few games for under-19s, but it was more of a favour to help out the juniors than actually kind of being that full-time position. Um, but back then, yeah, certainly, you know, there was more opportunities for juniors, in my opinion, because um, partly because of finances, in a way. Like, now we have this fantastic setup. If you look at Swindon, for example, the, the amount of sponsors we have, the amount of money that's floating around the, the, uh, the club, the pedigree that you can pull in, um, across the league um, means that it, it is harder for younger guys to break through the ranks. Whereas back when I was growing up, um, we had some fantastic players around us, but the, the money wasn't there to kind of pull players in from left, right, and center and boost your squad. So you had to look internally and, and give the the youngsters an opportunity. And uh, it was, yeah, it was very much death by fire, throw them in the deep end and see what happens. Um, but, and, and that worked for some, and, and not for others. Um, I was lucky that I managed to establish myself, and I was given the opportunity, and um, yeah, quick, quickly became a, a you know a, a part of, uh, of Swindon setup. Then
0: you talked about like the youngsters that year, but also the first year you uh, you iced in the uh, the Great Britain jersey as well. What was it like wearing the um, the under eighteen jersey that year?
1: Uh, amazing, um, absolutely amazing. It's it's one of those things that you just you don't really comprehend it at the time um you know yes it was it was juniors and stuff but how many people truly get to say that they've represented their country um for, for anything and and certainly to be given the privilege of of having you know captaincies and assistants and stuff like that um you know so it was a, a true honor for me and um you know I, I i owe a lot of credit to to the coaches that gave me the opportunity and people like Daryl Ipsy are part of that because that allowed me to keep continuing my development at an early age, whereas, you know, otherwise I could have gone stagnant within the under-16s and the under-19s, um, you know, and I, I wouldn't have been pushing myself to the degree I was playing against men, um, you know, and as I, as I went through, um, I can't remember which world championships it was exactly, but one of them, uh, you know, I had the the pleasure of, um, uh, of playing against future NHLers and you know it's <laughs> you, you just find it absolutely incredible when you look back at it and you think you know these are guys who are now in the you know top two lines on you know so in some cases you know they're assistant captains and captains of their teams in the NHL and I was, uh, I was privileged enough to uh, to
2: play against some of these guys. Yeah and just looking at your kind of your GB record and I noticed you've got two gold medals and a bronze medal I mean that was that, how much of a kind of feeling was that to win particularly the gold medals you know for your country mm-hmm.
1: uh, in, insane um and it, it's funny that you say gold medals because everyone would naturally assume that the gold medals would be the ones you're most proud of um, in, in my case and i'm sure this would be echoed with um with the guys who shared this honor with me such as sean thompson tommy carlo and joe greeners and other guys that you you would know um from watching over the last few years into the EPLs and, and of the world. But um, the, the gold medals were at division two and, and the bronze medal was at division one. Um, and it was, for us, it was a bit of a breakout for great Britain because prior to that, we kind of, as a country, we floated, we were too good for division two essentially. Um, so we, we, we would win everything in division two, get a gold medal, go up to division one. Um, and, and then we would lose everything in that, in that uh, pool and go back down to the Division Two the next year, win everything, and we just kind of bounced back and forth. Um, we were blessed to have a fantastic technical coach in Peter Russell, um, who, again, Wildcat fans will probably be familiar with. Um, and he, he just transformed the way that we entered those competitions. Um, and, yeah, winning the gold medals was a fantastic feeling, but actually that, that bronze medal that we took at, um, at, at Div 1 um, the year prior to that that medal, we um, we were actually I think I might be wrong, but I'm pretty certain we were the first team to stay up in Division One um, from from a GB point of view. We we're the first team to actually manage to stay up and avoid relegation and stabilise ourselves in that group, um, and then the following year to then um, you know to then go ahead and, and get that that bronze medal. And we are actually uh, we actually were on drawn on points with Kazakhstan, who won the gold medal that year. Um, and it went down to goal difference. Um, and, and we lost it on goal difference. But there were three teams drawn on points. Um, so we could have, uh, you know, we could have had a gold medal at Division 1, which, I mean, just would have been insane. The the, the team the year after would have been up against Canada and everything. And, you know, uh, it probably would have been a step too far. But fantastic accolade for, for everybody involved. And, um, yeah, super proud to be a part of that
0: was it I guess a bit mind-blowing to be doing all that at such a young age as well
1: yeah definitely um I mean I I was I was blessed to be assistant captain of um of GB 20s a year early actually a year before I should have even been playing in that same year I was playing at GB 18s and um yeah just again you, you don't necessarily take it all in but you get older and and you step back and you you take it in you you realize how much you've accomplished and you know the the four steps that you've taken for the sport um and i've, I've do you know what? i've really enjoyed watching ice hockey pole grow um over the past kind of 20 years watching it move from a, a league where you know we had a lot of fun back in the day but we used to be able to kind of pick and choose which games we'd turn up for essentially you could kind of look at a team and go well do you know what we you know we could go with half a team and and still win this game five six one um and other games you knew you had to show up and you know i, I remember times when we used to have a crate of beer on the way to a game um, let alone on the way back uh, you know you, you you just wouldn't get away with that now it's moved on so much the sport as a whole is um it's just gone on leaps and bounds and that that's That's partly due to the likes of um, you know like Yanni Kostel and stuff bringing a whole new level of professionalism to the sport over here. So um, it's been a fantastic journey to watch it all from that young age for me and be a
2: part of it. So moving away from Great Britain, so um, so i looking at kind of your 2005 six and that kind of era. You iced. Oh, for two seasons, you had games in the elite league with Basingstoke, um, while still icing um, with the Wildcats, as they were by that point. Kind of, what was it like making that step up to playing in a, you know, higher level, the top level in British ice hockey? What was it kind of? How was it for you to kind of make that step up and play that, at that level? Yeah, I really
1: enjoyed my time at um, my base at Basingstoke. Um, it was a tough one for me. Um, And ultimately, I uh, I decided to step away from the Elite League and concentrate on a career and move back into the EPL. But again, that that level of professionalism that that I saw at that level in comparison to the EPL at the time um, really opened our eyes. And um, it, it was great to be a part of that. And I had the pleasure of playing against just some amazing players, um, and playing with some great players as well. Um, so yeah, it, it was all about the experiences that I had across my career and they, all those experiences helped shape me to, to who I am today outside of hockey as well. So, you know, yeah, no, a whole nother level, some, some great times in Bays and Stoke. Um, and you know, at the time I played with guys like Johnny Wheaton who eventually ended up in Swindon for a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, some, some really great memories.
0: What was the, uh, the elite league like back then? Was it as big, fast and sort of physical as it is now? Or was it a bit more technical?
1: Uh, it's, yeah, good question. Um, it, it was definitely as physical, um, maybe even more so to a certain degree. Uh, because, I mean, as many people would know, now that we have more rules in place around kind of concussions and, and all that sort of stuff, that, the rules are a lot more stricter um, than they were back then um, for the right reasons. You know, it's important to have those protections in place. There's, you know, lots of injuries and stuff that have floated around and some, um, you know, some, some real potential damage that can be done um, if not controlled properly. But I mean, back then, I mean, if you looked at the team, like London Racers, they were, um, they, oh, what a team they were. Um, you, you just wouldn't get a team like that now um, over in the elite league. Um, but they are guys like uh, Eric Kearns and Jeremy Cornish, uh, Dennis Maxwell, yeah, Richie Hargreaves to a lesser degree. <laughs> I'm hoping he listens. To that. But uh, yeah, you know they they had toughness all the way through from um, you know from the fourth line through to the first line, and you know it was scary to come up against those guys. You know they were a really super tough team.
0: And after that year, you decided to uh, to move away from Swindon completely. Um, and go to Milton Keynes it's kind of weirdly like the year I always forget about your career like in the nicest possible way like you talk Shane it's like Swindon remember seeing you Swindon remember seeing you in Bracknell but I have never quite made that connection with MK just tell us a bit about that and how that came around
1: yeah MK was great um that was uh that was basically done through the conference system so um at the time uh I think it was under 17 southwest um Nick was coaching uh, of Milton Keynes was also coaching the southwest team um and, and so it came off the back of that and I had quite a bit of interest from um from various different teams outside Swindon that year and it it was completely fresh to me really um you know I'd always grown up wanting to play for the Wildcats um and just just loving playing um and but I saw when Milton Keynes approached me um I saw it as an opportunity to to just almost grow up in a way. Um, you know, it, being in Swindon again, I, I loved my time in Swindon even up to that point. Um, but I was living at home, um, just doing my same old thing. Whereas moving away to a new city, um, living with other hockey guys, having to get a proper job, um, you know, and just experience a different city, different culture, different way of kind of living. It, it was too good an opportunity to, uh, to turn down. And I mean, the, the choice for me, really, after having conversations with quite a number of coaches was between uh, between Slough with Steve Moria and uh, Nick Paul at Milton Keynes. Um, and I remember having a bit of a debate over which one to go for. And, um, yeah, really glad I chose Milton Keynes in the end. Um, if nothing else, I mean, just the city in comparison to Slough is, uh, <laughs> is one of the reasons to go there. But, um, you know, yeah, great bunch of lads in Milton Keynes. Um, had the pleasure of living with uh, guys like Ross Bowers and spending lots of time with Grant Pearson, um, you know, and yeah, they're great guys. Uh, we had a really good time. Uh, we also had Dan there, who was another Swindon junior um, as a goalie. Um, he was there for part of the season as well, coming up from Coventry. And um, yeah, just a great time of my life. Um, you know, guys who who don't experience life outside of their, their own hockey club growing up, um, you know, I, I feel sorry for them in a way because, you know, you get a totally different perspective um, in terms of the, the team because that's all you have in that new town. Um, when, when you, when you live in a home, um, in your own, own town, you know, you just have that same life that you've grown up with and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it it was fantastic for me just to have that totally different experience. And um, so
2: Obviously, Swindon fans will know that you've played with, you know, Aaron Nell, who's one of the top kind of scoring British forwards in the history of the EPL. But what they probably won't or might, might not know, because, again, as Ben said, you know, people don't necessarily remember that you had that year in Milton Keynes. They won't know that you also played with Gary Clark, who I know for me and Ben, it's kind of Aaron and Gary, are the two sort of players that you kind of think of immediately when someone says, the kind of best bits to play in the EPL certainly in this forward what was it like kind of play, still at a fairly young age playing with a guy like Gary Clark on that team
1: yeah Ga- Gary um much like Aaron is now just just dominated um back then and any team would have jumped at the chance to have a Gary Clark um in the same way any team would jump to have Aaron Nall on their team it's um it's effectively like having an additional import it gives you such an advantage um you know, to have a player of that caliber. And, yeah, Gary Clark was uh, – he was something else, just fantastic. Um, good guy off the ice as well, um, you know, good guy in the dressing room. But, yeah, what a player, um, you know. And that, that team that we had in so although we didn't win any silverware that year, um, you know, we had Gary Clark and I had by far the best captain I'd ever had with Dwayne Newman, um, dog, who was just – another level um you know as you say people like Aaron and Gary their their ability speaks for themselves on the ice The, the goal scoring and their playmaking you know they are they, they are a different pedigree and they are like an extra import um but yeah having having a captain of the caliber of Dwayne Newman as well was um was something else he was a fantastic guy someone I've got great respect for
0: one thing I was gonna like kind of put you on the spot a little bit like We've seen Aaron at his best, and I remember watching Gary Clark at his best. You played with both, arguably when they were at their, around their peak. like I think me and Tom worked out that Aaron was about 200-ish points behind. Had the EPL stayed, do you think Aaron would have got there, and is like, does one stand out to you as better than the other? In, like which one is they're the, they're the two when people say to me, "Who's the best Brit to play in the EPL? like Aaron and Gary probably stack out, and the other one is David Longstaff, but like, who's the one for you?" Jane Moore. There
1: you go. That's we No, I mean, um, both of them were fantastic players for different reasons. Um, Gary Clark could literally transform a game. Um, he was fantastic. Aaron Nall, if you put the puck on his stick, he is dangerous from any angle. Um, I would have hated to be a goalie going up against Aaron now because he just picks a spot and just uh, I don't know how he does it it's insane um, he has such a quality shot um I, I would I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be the best person to pick one of the two because uh, as I say I was never a goalie and a goalie would probably be able to tell you the difference but um in terms of if Aaron now would have ever beat Gary Clark's numbers um I think he probably would have um especially if uh if Jonas Hoop was a bit younger and stuck around a bit longer, <laughs> the the two of those were the two of those together were just incredibly talented. I, I'd never seen a partnership like it. Gary Gary Clark, as I say, was was fantastic. Um, but I always thought of Gary Clark as as a solo player in a way. Um, he had some great um, he had some great hookups with guys like skinari and and some other great players that we had in Milton Keynes, but. Aaron now, I always think of Aaron with, um, with Hoogie, um, which many people will probably agree with. Um, the two of those as a partnership was just unstoppable. Uh, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't stop them. If they wanted to score a goal, they'd find a way. Um, and that was down to Hoogie's playmaking ability and being able to find Aaron's stick. And as I say, if you put a puck on Aaron's stick, he'll find the back of the net.
2: So that kind of links nicely into a question that I was kind of wanting to ask. So obviously, you mentioned you played with Hoogh and Nell um, as a partnership, and I think Swindon fans need no introduction to how good that was. But before you returned to Swindon, you were in Bracknell, and the two years you were in Bracknell was the time where obviously they had the line of um, Michael Pink, Jan Czeski and Nicky Watts who also kind of dominated the league in the same sort of way for a couple of years and then moved to Swindon as well. And, um, you know, had a fantastic sort of second line, I guess, in Swindon when they moved back with you. Um, what was it like kind of when they came over to Britain and you had that sort of firepower on your top unit? Yeah,
1: that was, that was a really interesting year. Cause um, I mean, yeah, moving away from Swindon again, going to another new club. Um, I, I was actually, going to retire that year um I'd kind of yeah made my made my decision that I wasn't going to be playing I was going to uh concentrate on a, a career um outside of hockey and really knuckled down and um it was Nicky Watt that, that gave me a call actually and just said yeah come come and have a come and have a look at Bracknell um you know I'm going to play here and so you know I Nicky when we when we were younger me and Nicky used to hate each other me Nicky and Ryan used to just hate each other um and yeah as we grew up grew older um I got so much time for the Watt brothers um you know off the ice they're they're really good wholesome lads um they cause chaos on the ice for years um and and continue to do so in Ryan's case but um yeah great guys but yeah going to Bracknell and seeing Yarrow and, and Pinky um that those two guys yeah yeah much in the same way that um Hoogie and Aaron dominated. Those guys did the same for Bracknell, and we were we were truly blessed to have those guys that year because you know we were we were uh, a, a club that that were not in the best position financially, um, you know. So we put a lot of pressure on those guys, but the that top line having those guys was just phenomenal because you had a guy like Pinky and Yara who could create. Something out of nothing, like literally out of nowhere. Um, Nikki Watt was, uh, you know, a fantastic addition to that line because Nikki Nikki was one of those guys that you could put him in any lineup um, and he would slot into it because he was skillful. He could score goals. He could set goals up. But most importantly, as well, he gave like the imports in particular Yaro and Pinky. He gave them the opportunity to play because. People knew they couldn't take um, take liberties when they are on the ice because Nicky would ha- hold you to account. So he gave them that room to play. Um, and, yeah, Yaro was just something else. Watching him go down on penalty shots and just get to the top of the hash marks and just tee up a big slap shot to the top corner on a penalty shot was <laughs> just... I'd never seen anything like it. You know, most people go down there and try and do something skillful. Yaro just, yeah, top of the hash marks and just fire up a slap shot into the top corner (laughs) you know he's um yeah they they were both phenomenal talents and as I say Nicky complemented that line perfectly and um I don't think Yara and Pinky would have been as successful as they were without him
0: and I guess it must have been nice coming back to Swindon then and bringing those guys with you 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 said you were gonna potentially retire before you moved to Bracknell then like was coming back to Swindon an easier choice at that point (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm laughing because I had the same dilemma that um yeah after after a couple of years in Bracknell um I had the same situation where I was going to retire um I was done I you know I'd had enough of hockey and uh yeah I was ready to retire and Nikki phoned me up and said hey me and me Yara and Pinky are going over to Swindon um you know what do you think, and I was like, "No, I'm done. I'm retiring." Um, it was pretty set in stone that I didn't want to play anymore. Um, and then, yeah, Ryan Aldridge called me up, um, and yeah, I'm glad he did. Um, you know, go, coming back to Swindon just felt like home again, um, and it, it it reignited my love for hockey. Um, you know, Bracknell was Bracknell was tough. We had some good games, and we had some tough games as well. I mean, I remember that year in Bracknell before I came back to Swindon. Um, I, I took a slap shot to the face and, uh, you know, <laughs> messed up my teeth pretty bad, broke my jaw, dislocated it. And, um, you know, it was pretty messy. Um, and I kept thinking, uh, do you know what? I- I'm done with this. I, I don't want to do it anymore. But Nicky phoning me up and Yarrow and Pinky and then, yeah, Aldi, Aldi speaking to me and the the plans that he had put together for Swindon um, I just felt like I had a little bit more to give, and I, I couldn't say no, so I had to come home.
0: Because we we talk about those times in Swindon and this is kind of—I think this is the right time to bring it up. But your your style of play, like you were a physical stay-at-home defenseman, I think like everyone who's ever watched you play know, knows that. But five back-to-back years with with a hundred plus penalty minutes, you had a bit of a uh, you, at that time of your career. Was it? Do you enjoy dropping the gloves? Was there anyone that kind of stood out to you over that spell in Swindon?
1: Um, yeah, do you know what? It's, it's funny. I was always... Uh, look, anyone who knows me knows I'm not tough in the slightest, right? Like, I'm not a tough guy or anything. But what I, what I prided myself on throughout my career was that I just wouldn't let anybody take liberties with any of my teammates. Um, I, I, I didn't care. any Any single fight that I ever went into I honestly didn't care if I won or lost it. Um, for me, it was about standing up for the right reasons, um, making sure that people didn't take liberties against my team, and knowing that, yeah, if they if they stepped out of line, that they would have to answer the bell. Um, you know, and yeah, it, I, most of the time they probably went into those fights thinking this guy's five foot seven, and you know, I'm I'm just going to rag him around the ice. It didn't bother me. That you know, for me it was about holding them accountable and knowing that, you know, if they did take advantage, then, um, you know, they'd step up. And, you know, memorably for me, people like Andre Payet is a a prime example. Um, Pisey, a guy who's (laughs) way taller than me, way bigger than me, um, and a hundred times tougher than I ever was. Um, But I I always let him know that I, you know, I wasn't afraid of him. Like he could do what he wanted. It didn't matter. Um, You weren't going to, you weren't going to come into my barn and take the mick out of my players. And I remember one game, um, I fought him twice in a game. Um, and I mean, I, I didn't win the didn't, didn't win the fights, didn't go in there to win the fights. It was never about that. But I remember in, in warm-up, he said to me that, look, Morsey, if you don't drop the gloves with me off the first bat, I'm just going to go and fight Stevie Lyle. Um, and I was like, what? Uh, you know, where's this come from? Um, and he just said to me, he said, that's the way it is. He's like, today, I'm make a point. He's like, and yeah, we, we're going. And I was like, what are you going to get from it? Like you're twice my size. Like you're going to ragdoll me wherever you like you like. So, do you know what? So I went and spoke to Aldi and um, Aldi said to me, "Would well, you want to fight him? And I said, well, yeah, I'll fight him. Of course I will. Like, it's, it's not a problem. Um, and yeah, straight off the bat, the whistle, uh, the whistle went and the, the puck dropped and uh, me and him went <laughs> straight away. Um, but I did it again for the right reasons because I went into that fight knowing that realistically it wasn't about winning. It it was about damage limitation um, and about protecting Stevie Lyle as my goalie. Um, So that's, that's just what you have to do. Um, So super proud of, of that kind of role that I played with Swindon. Um, As I say, it was never about winning any of those fights. It was about just letting people know that they couldn't take liberties with my family.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, Ben and I both remember that game pretty well and pretty vividly, even now. And certainly, you know, Ben will probably agrees with me on this. There so Certainly, was that feeling even during warm up in stands that you know something like that was going to happen that night? Certainly, just has that kind of tension in the building, kind of knew something was brewing. Yeah, we, we've got a habit of uh, we've got a
0: habit so we've got a habit of watching warm up, and we could tell that something was happening in that game. And it was as soon as that first puck drop went down, we kind of looked at each other and went. Oh, that was it. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was um so I, I don't know how much of that that warm up people would have watched and I mean this is the first time people would really hear about it I guess and, and see this side of it. But during during that warm up he was uh he was shooting pucks down into our end during warm up and he was just trying to antagonize our players. He was just teeing up pucks and shooting them at our guys. So I went over and had a word with him and I was like what you know what are you playing at? This is warm up. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? Um, and, and that's when he said to me, yeah, we, we're going today. Um, whether you like it or not, he's like, if you don't want to go with me, I'm just going to go straight away. I'm going to go full speed at um, Gumsy, which was Stevie Lyle, and I'm going to run him, and then I'm just going to jump him and beat beat him up. And uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, <laughs> if, in which case, I'm going to have to fight you, aren't I? Um, you know, so, yeah, first first putt drop, and and we went, and I remember a bit later into the game, I think it was just into the second period, um i was skating by their bench and out of nowhere again he just grabbed me and he's like yeah we're going again um and i was like okay (laughs) if that's if that's what we've got to do that's what we've got to do you know um and yeah as i say it's just about um just about setting that tone that you're not not afraid because you know you you can dodge punches you can be smart um you know guys like Paisi, you know he he's there to do a job and he does the job well um i do, i I was there to do the same job right I'm there to look after my teammates, and you know he, him trying to intimidate my team was never going to happen, so I just had to stand there and and be smart about it, getting close and try to throw a few little rabbit punches and and avoid his big bombs coming in
2: um so you mentioned it there um which, do you feel that you're kind of willing there to start a play with you know to stand up for your teammates? Do you think that's what ultimately kind of made you not just a fan's favorite off the ice but you know that kind of leader in the locker room, and ultimately would end up you becoming captain of the Wildcats, being appointed captain in I think 13, 14. Yeah, so. I,
1: I, I certainly think it was something um, along those lines. I was—I don't think I was ever the most gifted player in the world, right? Like you know, I'm not a—I'm not a Michael Farn as a defenseman. I'm—I'm I'm not a Aaron Nall as a forward or anything like that. Um, as a junior you know, I scored a few goals and stuff, but I was never the biggest guy, but I always had a big heart. Um, I always wanted to win. I always wanted to do the right things for my teammates. Um, and I think that was a big part of why, yeah, why I was blessed to, to wear the C's and the A's with, um, with various different teams. But for me, that year that I was captain of Swindon was, um, you know, a personal highlight for me as, as a young lad growing up, it was, um, you know, watching the Ice Lords and, and the Wildcats, uh, you know, before that. And, it was always my dream to play for that team, and to be to to be given the honour of being captain of your hometown team was um, was something special for me. So you know, truly grateful for that uh, for that time. And yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the the reason that I was given that was because because people could see that I truly cared about that that team, and and you know, and about hockey in Swindon in particular.
2: Um. Um. So. And sorry, Ben. No, go on. I um. So that season um, when you were captain was obviously also the year that Jan Kostel arrived in Swindon um, in the middle of the season, kind of, I think it was October, November time, you know, he he was brought in um, as a mid-season, you know, in-board replacement. And you kind of mentioned it earlier, how he kind of played such a role in changing the um, culture, not in Swindon, but also, you know, other teams who then followed our lead. Um, Did you kind of notice overnight that sort of, change in the locker room or was it something that kind of gradually grew over time
1: uh, a bit of both really um so Yanni had an immediate impact the moment he came in to that locker room he was um he was the perfect professional um and it would be very easy to to kind of come into a situation like that and let your standards slip so you know you, you could almost expect someone of Yanni's caliber to step in and kind of just go well do you know what I can take my foot off the pedal and relax a little bit here take it a bit easy but Yanni's attitude was always about raising the game of people around him Um, and he was an absolute pivotal part of uh, Swindon's success over the following years of him coming in because of that attitude that he brought into the locker room um, and, and the professionalism that he took not only in the locker room but you know on, uh, to the on-ice product as well. And um, yeah, truly honoured to play with that guy and to watch him captain Swindon as well. Um, you know, he he really did transform the way the club operated. Um, you know, and I could pick out so many people that have had a massive part of um, of how Swindon got to how they are today. Um, you know, the Nals as a family have transformed. The, the product that we've got in Swindon as well, turned it really professional. Uh, Sally, um, from a marketing perspective, has done a fantastic piece, you know, and even down to you guys, the, the work that you guys are doing as well to, to get the the name and the product out there. The the club has transformed massively. And um, yeah, I think Yanni's been a massive part of that, uh, that on ice product particularly and the the dressing room culture that that was born and bred out of having him in the dressing room was um yeah fantastic to see.
0: And that year that you were captain, sort of Jan's first year, I'll I get you to talk about the kind of the way the season ended, the playoffs and stuff from your perspective in a sec, but like you said Yanni coming in was a big impact. Was it then kind of the, the cherry on top of the cake when Christmas time rolled around and then in comes Lee Richardson and Aaron Nell ready for the second half of the season from Slough and uh, Sheffield, respectively?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like mass, massive boosts. Um... You know, R- Richie's another guy um like like uh like Yanni that just had so much professionalism. Um and, and anyone you you'll meet will never say a bad word about Lee Richardson, like what a guy. Um, you know, and I, I've known the Richardson family since since we were kids. Um, you know, went to uh went to primary school with Mark Richardson and uh, Anne Richardson, um, their mum used to babysit me after school for a little bit you know so I've known the Richsons for a long long time but um you know what what a professional he was and again having having a couple of guys in the dressing rooms as well who could elevate that that professionalism was fantastic and Aaron's ability <laughs> you know we spoke about Aaron already but his ability to change the game was um, was a fantastic push for us um you know and yeah we we were truly blessed to to have a people like Steve now in charge who would, you know, put a bit of additional funds in there to help us push forward, um, you know, with the on-ice product. So, yeah, we, we were super lucky to have those additions coming into that team later into the uh, into the season.
2: So, obviously, that season, you know, we had a run in the playoffs. Um I think we should start with the semi-final against Milton Keynes, which was, you know, a tightly fought two legged game you know i don't think there was ever a situation where either team were more than maybe a goal or two down and it's got sort a of back and forth um obviously that second leg was in coventry that year cuz milton Keynes, you know having their rink um, rebuilt and you know can you remember I, certainly it's the game that i think a lot of us remember for jan kostel's kind of last gasp penalty shots you know to take us through can you remember kind of much about that game or was it kind of is it all kind of a bit of a blur from just the emotions and everything yeah I think
1: for me a lot of it is a bit of a blur to be honest with you the emotions that that run through you um for for me that was the first time that I'd actually been in the been in the playoffs like in in going through to the playoffs in that position um you know so for me it was certainly a blur but um yeah yeah as I say Yanni's on nice stuff everybody I mean yeah Milton Keynes were a great team that year they always came up and they always played and you know you you knew you're always in a game when when you played Milton Keynes um and as you rightly said you know there was probably never more than one or two goals difference either way throughout that series um you know so it could and it really could have gone either way um so for us to be able to push on through that was a fantastic feeling um and yeah it's as i say it's it's a bit of a blur but the feeling certainly isn't that that feeling of kind of you know leading the team through there is um yeah it's something you won't forget
0: and i guess it might have been up there with the most proudest moments of your career leading the team out at the finals weekend the week after against manchester we all know how it how it ended and how kind of gut wrenching that was but i guess when you look back now at that point in your career that must be a pretty proud moment
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, up until that point, Swindon had never, never got that far, um, you know, so for, for me to be able to lead the team into that position um, was uh, was a massive highlight. You know, I've got a few highlights in my career. Um, I've got that, I've got the, the GB stuff and I've got a charity game that we did in uh, in memory of my mum when she passed away from cancer. Um, you know, there's a few moments like that that stick out. But I mean, leading your your hometown team into battle and, you know, I still feel like we were robbed in the Manchester uh, in the Manchester game, but um, you know we, we won't need to draw on that. I think most Swindon people will say the same. Um, but it is what it is, and um, yeah, super proud to to be able to lead that team out there. Yeah.
0: I'm sure you'll probably agree with me, but I will absolutely agree that if we if we'd have got through that game, we'd have won the whole thing.
1: Without a doubt, without a doubt, um, you know that that's the hard part about it is because you could, you could you could see what would have happened after um, for me, and I knew that we had the better of Basingstoke all year. Um, you know, I, I knew that we would have we would have taken that game. They'd have come out fighting, but I had no doubt that we would have had them, and we certainly had the mental edge um, going into that game. And uh, you know, it, it is a bit of a bit of feeling because you know you feel like. We should have gone on and, and taken that, but um, you know that—that's the roll of the dice. That sport, um, you know, you don't always get it your own way. But uh, yeah, fantastic feeling to be able to lead that team out there for sure. And what a great team we had that year too.
0: Yeah, it's good. I still got the uh, the DVD up on the shelf there. Every time I watch it back, it's funny that the, the overtime never happens on that. It's great, you know. It just the game finishes yeah. and it's a tie, and everybody's happy. I don't, I don't know what happens. I'm Sure, the discs broke. Um, the year after that um, ended up.
2: Yeah,
0: the year after that ended up being your uh, your final year in Swindon. How did uh, the the decision finally? Obviously, you talked a couple of times that you thought about retiring and was kind of talked out of it. But that year, how was your mindset to to leave Swindon?
1: I, I think for me, it just got to the point where uh, I needed to concentrate on something outside of hockey. Um, you know, I, I had jobs throughout my hockey career and I kind of bounced around and never really concentrated on a career but I knew that I knew in my heart of hearts that I was never going to be playing hockey until I was 40 and I was never going to make big money out of hockey um so I wanted to concentrate on life outside of hockey so uh, as tough as it was to make that decision um it, it was the right time to step away and I was uh, I was given a fantastic opportunity actually Simon Anderson who was um he was actually my first assistant coach. He was assistant coach to Daryl Ipsy um, when, when I first signed in, uh, in Swindon when I was a youngster. And, um, yeah, he, he rang me up and he said, look, do, do you fancy coming over and playing in Oxford? Um, and it was, uh, it, was a lot, it was a lot easier. The, the pressures of playing in the EPL, pe- people forget sometimes that, you know, you're giving up two or three nights a week for training. Um, you know, you're in the gym two, three, four times a week as well, making sure you're physically fit. Uh, You're trying to have a full-time job and then you're playing a home game where you're committed to being down the rink from kind of four o'clock in the afternoon, getting prepared until 11 o'clock at night. And then the following day, you could be in Manchester or Sheffield or whatever and getting back home at three o'clock on a Monday morning. Um, You know, and the the pressures are real there. There's a lot of commitment and you do it for the love of the game. Um, So the opportunity to kind of step away from that finally was too good for me. And yeah, I was offered the the chance to play in Oxford and, you know, I, I was quite open and honest with Simon Anderson about, you know, uh, I'll come and play for you for free. I, I don't want any money. I'm just covering my expenses, but you know, I, I, I don't want the commitment of having to go to Invicta and all this stuff. It will be, you know, I'll play as much as I can and I'll play as many home games as possible and I'll try and fit in a few away games, but I just didn't want that commitment anymore. I, you know, my, my wife would come back from she was living in Australia and we were just rekindling our romance and you know that that opportunity to kind of move away from hockey and start building life away from hockey was was ultimately the right, the right one because you know now now I'm married and have a couple of kids and you know a budding career and so you know I made the right decision to to step away before I got too old.
2: I certainly <laughs> I certainly remember um, Ben and I going to watch a game in Oxford that season you played and it was quite a high scoring game, but it was also their teddy bear toss night. And I remember it being the, the most awkward teddy bear toss because of that netting, you know, you have to have a <laughs> decent arm to get, get the, get the bears over there. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. But that was, do you know what, that, that year in Oxford was, uh, was such an enjoyable year for me. Um, it was very different to, to Swindon. Swindon, there was a lot of pressure um, for me, but for the right reasons, you know, it was a different calibre of hockey. Um, moving away to, to Oxford, uh, gave me an opportunity just to relax a little bit. Um, and also I, you know, I, I stepped into that role of, uh, community champion for them and I arranged that teddy bear toss and that was the first time they'd ever done that. So, you know, as you say, it's awkward with that netting, but, um, you know, but it was really successful and I managed to get, um, Sega to donate loads of like Sonic goodies that year and, uh, Intel donated some, um, some like mini computers for the hospitals as well for kids and you know Mattel toys donated um probably about 10,000 pounds worth of toys that we gave away to the kids um at John John Radcliffe hospital and the the feeling of um you know being able to give something back was phenomenal and I was only able to do that by stepping away from the hockey side of things to look at things outside of that
2: so yeah so um just before we kind of move on I just need to quickly track back to your last season once more and um, so your final home game and your penultimate game of your Wildcats career was kind of a momentous game for two reasons so one obviously it was your final game but it was also Ryan Aldridge's final game as coach before he um, took over the Okanagan role but also it was your 500th EPL game um, that must have been a really kind of special moment to reach that milestone which not many players ever managed to ever
1: managed to get to yeah definitely um I was super glad to be able to hit that because i would had a few injuries which had um you know really really put the spanner in the works on stuff like that so you know whether I didn't know whether I'd ever get to that point but to be one of a few players that um you know ever got to that that number of 500 plus games in the EPL was uh was pretty special as I said I was never the most gifted or talented player um, you know, I was never the smoothest skater. I was never the best shooter. I was never the best passer. But, um, but I think my heart managed to keep me in the game for a long time. And you know, to 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 get that 500th game in a Swindon jersey for me was pretty special. And um, you know, super thankful to the club to um, you know to honor me with that as well. They put on a bit of a show for me and presented me with a shirt. And you know, I still got that framed downstairs. And um, you know, yeah, very very proud to have been able to to stay in the league for that long because the caliber of players over the year just got better and better and better um you know so to be able to still be signed and and still play in those leagues after all those years so I was um yeah very honored and very humbled to um to be able to hit that five hundred mark
0: and I guess more recently it must be quite fun have i know you've been asked back for the um the thirtieth anniversary game we did a couple of years ago and obviously you played in bully's testimonial um as well I guess. It's nice coming back and having those kind of one-off games and seeing everybody that you've not seen for a few years and catching up and talking memories and, and playing a bit of hockey again.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, to, to be asked to play in, like, Legends games and stuff is, um, is a real honour for, for any player, um, you know, and being a part of Bully's testimony as well. But Bully was, um, was one of my all-time favourite teammates. Um, absolutely loved the guy. I've got so much time for him. Uh, we used to have great fun together. He even lived with me for a little bit over the summer one year and um we had a lot of fun he's he's a really great guy um on and off the ice and um you know he'd do anything for his teammates too so to be asked to play in his testimonial was great and yeah to catch up with all those guys again that that's the thing you miss most after retiring you you don't you don't miss the commitment you don't miss the late nights you don't miss the trainings but you miss that um, you miss the dressing room, you miss the boys, and you miss that, that wind in your face as you're skating around the ice. Um, you know, but, yeah, for me, the the opportunity to kind of lace up every couple of years and see those guys and, you know, just have catch-ups and just, just yeah, feel that breeze in my face again is uh, is pretty nice. Um, and, yeah, super honoured to be a part of any of those games.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, a, I remember Bully's testimony was an absolutely great night. It was great to see so many people back in swindon um and it really was a super game as was the, the 30th anniversary game is there any kind of one game that jumps out from your career that is like your favorite game the best memory you've got the I don't know, the best goal fight whatever is there any kind of one game that sticks out to you and you think back to your days
1: uh do, do you know what? there's there's a couple for me um for me the, the the one that sticks out most to me wasn't even the competitive one it was the the one we did in memory of my mum um you know so i was it yeah i was only young i was 18 when i lost my mum to cancer and one of the things that she wanted to do before she passed away was put on she she knew she was um she knew she was on her final kind of legs if you like and um she really wanted to do a charity match um, to raise money for the people that supported her, so Cancer Research and um, Macmillan. And I, I took that on me to, to do that. And I was lucky enough to be supported by the team at the time. Um, Steve now really helped out, put me out in the um, put me in touch with uh NPower, um, and we managed to get them to double whatever we made. Um, and we, we ended up raising uh 14 and a half grand in a day for those two charities. And the the piece that stands out for me on that is just how, how much you, you are like a family with those guys that you play with. So, you know, we, we put on a, a Swindon All-Stars versus um, the, the GB All-Stars, um, or, you know, and we had guys like Matty Toe come down and play and Tommy Carl, a lot of the GB players that I was playing with. Um, and lots of the Wildcats legends came out to play in that as well. And, um, yeah, we, we raised a great deal of money in that one game, but the, the piece that really stands out for me was, um, Adam Walker at the time, who also played in Swindon for a bit. Um, he, he actually donated his gold medal, um, to the, uh, to the raffle that we, uh, to the auction that we were doing after. Um, so we did a shirt auction and, um, yeah, walks, walks donated his, his gold medal. And, you know, the it was just an amazing thing to think that somebody cared that much about me and my cause of trying to raise some money that they were willing to give up their gold medal from the world championships for that. Um, and I mean, fantastic story behind it was a couple of the guys that were playing in the game, um, actually bought it and, and just gave it back to him because they didn't want him to lose it. And again, that, that just shows you how much of a family that you have within that hockey community. And, uh, yeah. So for me, that's, that's the one that stands out. You know, it, the, the gold medal games, the, the bronze medal games, the playoffs, the injuries, uh, the fights, all of that stuff, you know, that, that can be replicated. Right. But those moments where somebody is willing to give up something like that, you know, it's truly special to show you how much of a family you are.
0: That, couldn't be a better game um if you'd have you could yeah you you've nailed it on the head there that really was like absolutely spot on and i i've never heard that story about walks before and like you said it blows it blows your mind to think that someone out there would would do that and even more so for them the boys to kind of chip together and get it back for him as well it just shows like you said the hockey family i guess that kind of brings us to the end really the last thing I'm going to ask you is, and I've asked, um, I've asked Bully this, and I think we asked Sam Jones too. From your days of playing, um, you're one of the D men. I'm sure people have asked you this before, but pick your, uh, your goalie, your D partner, and your forwards as your kind of Wildcats all star line. Um, okay. You won't tell anybody uh, who you pick, don't worry. Well, you're
1: putting this out on the air, so of
0: course you're going to tell everybody. <laughs> B- Bully bought that. I was the one going to say, Bully bought that. <laughs> well,
1: Bully's an idiot. <laughs> um <laughs> a lovable, lovable one but he's an idiot um look there's, there's so many different players that i could um that i could put into this this lineup for various different reasons um i think yeah such <laughs> such a real tough question so for me uh i would go with uh i'd have to go with nicky watt um because he, he just brings that. There's so many different dimensions to the game. Um, I would go with yeah. So Nicky Watt in centre. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Do you know what? I'm gonna go with that that lineup in Bracknell that I had. So I'm gonna go Yarrow, Pinky, and uh, and Wattie, Um because that year was just so fun. Like Pink, Pinky is one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. Um, you know, and, and we had the same thing in Swindon as well. So I spent a lot of years with those guys. Um, so I'm going to go with that, those guys for a forward lineup. Um, they were something special. They created so much out of nothing um, and just such great guys on and off the ice. They had a real influence on my career. Um, as, a, as a D partner, um, I'm going to have to go with Dwayne Newman from, uh, from Milton Keynes. Um, and I'd give him the C for captaincy as well um just because again he was uh, he was something else he was really special um and in goal uh goal is a tough one uh i do you know what i'll have to go with the legend stevie law um he had the ability to transform a game like you you could put 70 80 shots against him and still have a chance to win a game so uh yeah how could I have anyone else? Uh, so yeah, that, that's going to be my pick. Um, again, I could say so many different people for so many different reasons. Um, I wish you'd asked me to, to give you a full squad because uh, I could have come prepared. <laughs> for that. But uh, I, yeah, some great guys.
0: I'd say we'll do the, uh, the, the next time we get you on uh, to talk about whatever it will be, we'll, uh, we'll get you to get the rest of that squad put together.
1: Perfect. Yeah, that sounds good. Give me some time. I'll put something together
0: sounds wonderful shane thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us it's been an absolutely great time to have a chat it's been good to, to catch up with you and, and see how things are going and it's always good to look back on on those days as well so thank you for taking the time to join us and i guess uh, it's this time of year so have a great christmas and a great new year as well
1: yeah th- thanks very much guys um yeah pleasure as always seeing both of you and um Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job with everything behind the scenes here. It's a massive part of um, of Swindon hockey, and I'm sure everybody involved really appreciates it. And um, yeah, hope everybody tunes in and, and continues to listen. Have a great Christmas, and um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. So we hope you all enjoyed uh, the in- the interview there with Shane. I know Tom and I had a great time uh, chatting with him, and it was good to-, to catch up with someone that hasn't been around the hockey scene quite as much as uh, I'm sure we would have liked and remembered him to be for the last couple of years but this is it, it brings us to the end of episode 11 um, 2020 is, well as we're recording this, just a few days left now and I'm sure I speak on behalf of uh, myself and Tom that we are both absolutely sick to death of 2020 and
2: hopefully, <laughs> hopefully
0: yeah, is. yeah uh, hopefully we can get to the new year kind of sooner rather than later um, Tom, any kind of final any final message for the listeners for the uh, the end of the year?
2: Yeah, um, yeah. well, like I say, 2020's been a tough year, you know, for so many reasons for everyone. Um, you know, it's been completely turned a lot of lives upside down and, you know, it's been, hopefully, you know, as we move into 2021, there's gonna be a bit more light at the end of the tunnel next year and we can kind of start to work gradually back to normality. Um, obviously, that's a much bigger picture than just hockey that's everything in um our, you know society as a whole but you know i hope that through these kind of 11 episodes that we've managed to record in a relatively hockey free year which probably wasn't the best plan when starting a hockey podcast is um you know have provided you know some entertainment and for you all and you know i just want to you know thank everyone for listening and i'm sure ben will follow up follow up by saying you know it's great, you know, the viewer num- listeners numbers have really kind of blown us away of how many people are, you know, listening to these episodes. And we've got, you know, some great guests that we want to get on next year. You know, we've got some, hopefully, have some more hockey to talk about than we had this year. But yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure to be involved, and we're really looking forward to twenty twenty one, and you know, have a happy new year. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think that's obviously. Uh, that's kind of summed up nicely there. I think yeah, it's twenty twenty we said there's there's many points and many people around the world have, have suffered in 2020. The one thing for us, I think that's kind of probably helped us both get through this has been this podcast. It's uh, It's been good fun. Um, we had the idea at the start of lockdown, like you said, probably not the best idea in the world, but here we are, we're running with it. And yeah, we hope after these 11 episodes, we've absolutely been blown away by the numbers we've had and the places this podcast has reached and the people that have listened to it. And yeah, Tom said, we've got a list of guests that have have messaged us to say they want to come on and and we're kind of picking our way through the the list in the right order, really. And uh, there's going to be some exciting episodes coming up in 2021. Hopefully we're going to have some hockey and we'll have some live hockey to talk about as well. And, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing. Uh, This is the last podcast for 2020, but we'll be back in the new year. Um, And all that's left for me to say is, Have a wonderful Christmas, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in. And hopefully, let's
2: have a very happy new year. And and 2021 will be so much better than 2020.